When our kids were younger, we had a couple of books that were just kind of fun. They were uh, books that were created by a guy named Martin Hanford. And these books didn't have many words at all in them. Rather, they were just full of pictures. And some of you might say, hey, that's my kind of book. Amen. Well, the main character of these books was a guy by the name of Simply Waldo. And the goal was to find Waldo on every page of the book. Now, uh, we've got a picture of this that we're going to put on the screen, but these books were called Where is Waldo? How many of you have seen books like this before? Uh, most of us, right? Well, um, so you know how it works. There's a scene, a beach, a park, a city block, a construction site, carnival, and there are all these people who are walking around or sitting or playing, doing a bunch of different things. And your goal is to find this one guy who's in the picture and he has a red and white striped hat. He has um, a red and white striped shirt. He's got blue pants and glasses. And so you're scanning the whole picture and you start maybe on the left-hand corner and you're, you're looking back and forth and you're uh, looking up and down and you're not seeing him anywhere. So you move over to the right-hand corner of the picture and then you're looking at the bottom of the picture and you're looking at the middle of the picture. And sometimes you uh, look long enough and you think, oh, I actually found Waldo. But, but when you think you found him and then you look at it a little closely, a little more closely and you're like, that's not quite him. It, it, it doesn't have the hat on or maybe the pants are different. But um, you're, you're just looking and you're looking and finally you find him and you say, yes, I think this is Waldo. And all the people who are working on this picture with you they look and they say, yeah, yeah, that's him. Keep your finger on him. Don't lose him. You know, there's a passage of scripture that says that God does that. In fact, it says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. That he scans cities and communities and neighborhoods looking for particular people. That his eyes go back and forth scanning, looking. Can I find one? Can I find one? He comes to Chicago 77 neighborhoods, can I find one? Goes up on the north side to places like Rogers Park and Edgewater, can I find one? Goes to the west side to Garfield Ridge, Austin, Little Village, can I find one? Comes down to the south side, Beverly, Morgan Park, Mount Greenwood, uh, Roseland, can I find one? Neighborhood by neighborhood, street by street, house by house, can I find one? Address by address, can I find one? You say, what is it that God's looking for that's so unique? What, what's so rare, so hard to find that even God has to search for it? Well, this verse of scripture tells us what God is searching for. The thing that makes God stop at your address is one thing. When God finds a heart that is fully devoted to him. Do you know what, what that tells me? It tells me that hearts that are fully devoted to God are kind of rare. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Those, uh, some other translations say things like whose heart is completely his or whose heart is fully devoted to him. Today, I want to talk just a little bit about what it means to have a heart that is fully devoted to God, a heart that is completely His. 
Because what this verse tells us is that if we position ourselves with a heart that's fully devoted to God, that God will strengthen us, he'll pour out his power upon us, that, that we'll experience him more deeply. Friends, I wonder today, if God were to scan the rows of this room from side to side, from front to back, I wonder whether he would stop at your seat, whether the heart of God would stop and would say, yeah, I found someone who has a heart that's fully devoted to me. Not halfway devoted, not partially connected, not somewhat interested, not semi-connected. No, would he say, yes, I found one. I found a heart that's fully devoted to me. Second Chronicles 16 is really about a man by the name of Asa, King Asa. And I want to tell you just a little bit about his story because this verse that we're looking at today uh, just the con- is in the context of everything that happened in the life of King Asa. In fact, if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to join me there. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and I'm going to begin in verse 2. Uh, we'll put these words on the screen as well, but here is what it says beginning in verse 2. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, there is, a covenant, there is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha." king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. Now, the first thing that I want to point out here today is just simply this. Fully devoted hearts refuse to give what belongs to God to others. Fully devoted hearts refuse to give what belongs to God to others. Let me give you the story of King Asa a little bit here so that you can understand the context. King Asa was a king who started out very young. He started out as the king of Judah, as the king of Israel, and um, he was devoted. He was zealous for the things of God. He started out wanting to follow God with all of his heart. He was a righteous king. Throughout Israel's history, sometimes there were good kings and sometimes there were bad kings. Asa was one of the good kings. He had a zeal for the things of God. He wanted to follow God. He wanted to turn the nation back to God. He, wanted, he, he was a man who was trying to seek after God. But as he got older, as he changed, as he moved forward, there was something in his heart that started to shift. Yes, he was still a, a, a follower of God. Yes, he still believed in God. But there was something about the zeal, the fire, the drive, the passion that seemed to grow less and less the older he got. In the beginning, you might even say that he had a bit of a naive zealousness about the things of God. In fact, an entire army came against him and was threatening to wipe them out. This army could have done that. But instead of first organizing his army and going out into battle, the first thing he did was to pray. He got on his knees before God. He called a fast. He called out to God and he said, God, spare us, deliver us, because we can't do this on our own. 
And God miraculously turned the whole situation around. And King Asa and the people of Israel were victorious simply because he called upon the name of the Lord. You know, there's something about young faith that's kind of endearing. There's something about first believing that's very attractive. You're new in the faith. Somehow you've been awakened from this spiritual deadness and been brought to life. And you're excited about the things of God. And sometimes you do some things that seem to be even a bit crazy. Your car breaks down. Your car stops. You can't get it started. So you get out of your car. And you lay hands on the hood of your car. And you pray in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, would you just start this car up? You go get back in the car, you turn the ignition. If it doesn't start up right away, uh, you, you go back outside and you pray again. Hey, come Holy Spirit, revive this car. And the car starts. And, and you see crazy things happening. People say, hey, you're nuts. Why are you doing that? Why? It's because God has awakened you and you're so excited about doing what what he wants you to do. You're so excited about what he's doing around you and in you and through you. You pray like a little kid prays. You pray with faith. You pray with zeal. You pray with excitement. You can't wait to get to the house of the Lord and to worship him. You're overjoyed. You feel uh, the, the presence of God in your life. You love reading the Bible, just soaking in everything from the word of God, what it has to say to you. You, you want to tell everybody about what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. You're overjoyed and excited and super zealous. You have a faith that simply says, God, I trust you. But over time... If you're not careful, something can sometimes happen. With time, we become more seasoned. With time, we become more self-reliant, more educated about religious things. We become more knowledgeable. knowledgeable. Something about our knowledge grows, uh, and, and as that happens, our fire goes down. Sometimes as we become more familiar with God, our passions begin to fade. And sometimes we find ourselves having greater knowledge of God, but less zeal. Friends, Asa started with a trust in the Lord, an excitement for the things of God, a zealousness and a passion to see God move. But something seemed to change inside of his heart. In fact, we're told in 2 Chronicles that early on he trusted God, that he prayed and God answered. This time around, though, the same thing happens. A large army came against him, but this time he's less passionate about his faith, less zealous, less trusting in the Lord. This time he decided to make a, 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 a treaty And so he actually went into the house of God. He goes into the temple. He gets all of the silver and the gold appliances and cups. And he even goes and gets them from his own house as well. And he gives them away to this king of Syria. And he says, hey, I'm just going to give you this treasure here if you promise that you're going to help me out here. This time, instead of going to God, he took what belonged to God and gave it to someone else. You know, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how our natural tendency can uh, be this way for all of us, that we become more self-reliant. 
Our natural tendency is to lose our zeal. A natural tendency that we have is to become cynical. A natural tendency that we have is that our passion for the Lord kind of fades. Friends, don't get me wrong. I love to see young, passionate faith. But what is more impressive to me is when I see somebody who has been walking with the Lord for a long, long time. And they are still zealous, passionate about the things of God. What impresses me is uh, 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 just having this long-term passion. What I'm impressed with is this fervor that goes beyond the initial stage of excitement and goes on for years and years and years. What I'm impressed with is not so much a new believer who is zealous about the things of God, but what I'm impressed with is someone who has been walking with the Lord for 30, 60, 80 years, and they are still passionate and zealous about the things of God. That is what impresses me. Something about Asa had changed. Instead of a simple, uh, sincere faith that went running to God, Now he's actually taking things from God and trying to buy off his enemies. And listen, what he did actually worked. But how many of us know that just because something worked temporarily doesn't mean that it's good in the long run for us? In fact, you may make a decision right now that seems to meet an immediate need. But in the long term, it really kills your soul. You may do something right now that fixes something temporarily, but in the long run, it has devastating effects on your life and on your soul. Asa, King Asa, went into the temple. He gathered the stuff that belonged to God, and he gave it away. Now, we may not be exactly uh, doing that particular thing, but I wonder, I mean, how many uh, of those types of things maybe are happening in our own lives? With our time, is our time really God's time or is it just that we do whatever it is that we want? We say that we're followers of God, but how much of our time do we actually give to him? Or with our energy, we say things like, God, all of my energy belongs to you. But how much of our energy actually goes into something that is God-centered? Or how about our praise? I mean, we thank our family members, we thank our co-workers, we thank our neighbors, but how often do we really thank God for what he's done? We, we take all of our finances, all of our stuff, we use it on ourselves, and we have very little left over to give to God. Our talents. Some of you here today are extremely talented, artistically, verbally, mechanically, relationally, And yet you take those talents and you use them on things that have very little to do with the things of God. Asa, as he grew, compromised himself. Asa, as he grew, started taking the things of God that God had given to him and he started giving them away to someone else. We're talking about how to be fully devoted, how to have hearts that are fully devoted and refuse to give to God, give God what is his and we give it to somebody else. Secondly, though, I want you to just see this fully devoted hearts put their reliance on God above all else. Fully devoted hearts put their reliance on God above all else. Look at what it says there in verse seven. Scroll down there and it says, at that time, Hananiah, the seer, that's the prophet, 
came to King Asa of Judah, said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria, did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. You see, what had happened is that Asa had stopped trusting God and he started trusting himself. He he stopped believing that God could, could do it all, that God was in control of all things. Now, I want you to see something else that we're told here just a little bit later on in the chapter when you get to verse 12. Verse 12, it says this, in the 39th year of his reign, so he's been reigning as the king for 39 years, Asa was diseased in his feet and his disease became severe. Now, we don't know what this disease was, but clearly it's very serious. And it says, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. Friends, what's being described here is a shift in mindset. There's nothing wrong with going to the doctor. If you're sick, going to a doctor is a good idea. It's not a lack of faith to go to a doctor. But the problem was that he only went to the doctors when he was sick and he didn't go to God. Listen, if you're sick, you should go to a doctor. If your cars broke down, you should go to a mechanic. If your finances are in trouble, you should go to an accountant. If you're out of shape, you should go to a gym or get a personal trainer. Look, it's not, it's not the fact that Asa went to doctors that was a problem. The problem was he went to doctors and he didn't go to God. You see, when you trust in other people, in other things but you don't go to God, ultimately what you're saying is my trust isn't in God. I think I can solve my problems and my issues without you, God. Can I tell you something? That is the ultimate presumption and arrogance of the human heart. To think that we can do anything worth doing without the power and strength of God. Listen, if your marriage is in trouble, you should go to a counselor. You should. But you need to understand that the ultimate dependence of your life is that you need to be dependent upon God in order to make your marriage strong. You need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit in order to change what it is that you cannot change on your own. Maybe you have a disease that's been diagnosed. By all means, go to a doctor. Get all the treatment that you can. But if you ultimately depend on surgeries and medications and doctors and don't understand that God is the one who heals, then your confidence is in the wrong place. If you have an addiction, yes, go to a 12-step program. You should go to a 12-step program. But if your confidence is in your sponsor or in the program, then you have misplaced your confidence. It can be a tool, but God is the one who does the work. You need the power of God in your life. Asa went to doctors. He didn't call upon the Lord. And I wonder today, is your heart fully devoted? Shows up in what you first go to when you're in trouble. Shows up in what it is that you rely on most. Love the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That instead of doing what you think is best, listen to what God says is best and trust Him. Verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. 
Now, I know it might seem hard when God calls you to forgive and you don't want to. You want to hold the grudge. I know that it might seem hard when God calls you to purity in a world that says, you know what, just live the way you want to live. Live your life. I know that it might seem hard when God calls you to serve other people in a world that says, hey, no, other people ought to be serving you. And I know that some of you might even be thinking this morning, oh, Jason, I mean, you're so out of touch with reality. You don't live in the same world that I live in. No, I live in the same world you do. But I'm just saying that we, what should define our lives is not the culture, but rather the power and the truth of the word of God that is greater than the culture. Now, this is challenging, but if we want to experience a change in our lives, then we need to ask, God, is my heart fully devoted to you? Well, here's the third and and final thing that I want us to see here this morning. First, if we're going to have fully devoted hearts, we must refuse to give what belongs to God to others. Secondly, we must rely upon God above everything else. And then third, fully devoted hearts become magnets for God's power. Fully devoted hearts become magnets for God's power. Maybe we could say it like this. Well, before we do that, um, let me just uh, back up here and read what it says in verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give full support or strengthen or manifest its power to those whose heart is blameless toward him. We say it this way, extraordinary power follows on the heels of extraordinary commitment. Extraordinary spiritual power does not come to the intelligent, to the wealthy, the resourced, the strategic. Extraordinary power comes to those who are extraordinarily committed. And Jesus chose 12 disciples. Do you know what those 12 disciples had in common? The common denominator was that they were all hungry and devoted to following Christ. They weren't the most wealthy. They weren't the most prosperous. They weren't the most well-known. In fact, the, the person who was the leader of the early church, Peter, he was only a fisherman. He wasn't a theologian, not a businessman, not of royal descent. He was a man who was used to catching fish. And he became a very influential person in the New Testament. Why? Because he was devoted to Jesus. He had a hunger for God. Down through the centuries, people who have been the most impactful have not always been the wealthiest or the smartest or the offspring of kings, but rather they have been those who have said, I believe in what the scriptures say. I believe in the power of God. I believe and my heart is 100% fully devoted to who God is. And God says, yes, I found someone that I can pour my power into. David was a shepherd boy, and God used him to defeat a massive warrior named Goliath. Moses had been a shepherd for 40 years. He was an old man, and by his own admission, he says, I'm not a very good speaker, and God used him to lead millions of Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Gideon, he was afraid. He was in hiding when the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Hey, mighty warrior, I am calling you. I'm going to use you in order to set my people free. And he rose up and God used him. I'm just saying that when you devote yourself fully to the Lord, doesn't matter what limitations others might see. 
When his power works through you, amazing things are able to happen. And so as we kind of wrap this up here, I want you to just kind of think about this for a moment. What would it look like if you were to get really serious about this and to be fully devoted to Jesus and his calling on your life? I've asked myself this question. What would happen in the city of Chicago if there were 10 20, 60, 100 fully devoted followers of Jesus. What if, and I'm just dreaming here a little bit, but what if there was a whole church of fully devoted followers? What if God were to move in a place like this, an old church that's been around for 130 years, And and we said, you know what? We're going to be sold out to God. Not just halfway, not partway, but 100%. God, we are fully devoted to you. What could God do if as he was scanning the earth, he stopped and he said, oh, hey, I found one. And what, what could that look like? What kind of impact could that have? Friends, I believe that this attitude, this posture, this commitment, this trust in the Lord could have an amazing impact on our lives, on our community, our, our, our uh, city, our world. And one of the primary ways that I think that God makes this happen is when we get serious about studying his word, when we get serious about connecting together in a community of faith, when we get serious about obeying what God tells us to do. And so as we kind of kick off this new Sunday school year here, my call to each and every one of us, myself included, is that we would reevaluate, that we would reconsider what our commitment is to the Lord and to the things that God really cares about. It's a great time for us to kind of step back here, to say, God, I want to be used by you. God, I want to experience your power at work in, through, around my life. And listen, maybe there's a need for some here today to commit their lives to the Lord for the first time. That you say, God, you know what? I've been living for myself. And that has been a total train wreck. I have messed everything up. But today, I want to stop all that. Jesus, I accept you as the Lord and Savior of my life. I I lay my life in your hands. I'm committing myself fully to you today. Maybe you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've been kind of drifting. Your your zeal, your passion has faded. And maybe today you need to say, God, thanks for your patience. God, thanks for your grace and your mercy. Thanks for calling me back. Today, I'm uh, recommitting myself fully to you. I want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you did 10 years ago. Good or bad, God wants to do new miraculous works of his grace and mercy in your life today. And he does that as we fully devote ourselves to him, as we cry out to him and recognize our weakness and our frailty and our inability to do anything on our own. Because when that is the posture of our lives, that is when God begins to move and put his power on display in ways that we can't even begin to imagine or understand. Friends, I think that 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 19 is such an important reminder for us today as we kick off this new Sunday school year. 
That as we look forward to what God's going to do in the weeks and months to come, this needs to be a primary focus for us. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 